I'm just getting ready to post this episode, and I did want to let you folks know that there will be book recommendations in the show notes at bbbpod.com. Diane mentions a couple of books during the episode, including her own, but after we recorded, she gave me some other recommendations, so definitely check out the show notes. All right, here we go. This is incredible. Speaking of... There's a lot of liquid dripping. I don't know. Oh. I'll look for a wife if you know anyone. Wait, stay there. I need a picture of you laughing with the... <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> he needs a wife to take I care do. of him. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. That's our warm-up session. Now we're ready. <laughs> All right. We're ready to go. So this morning, well, okay, let me back, let me back up. Last night, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go into work early, get a couple things done." Right. My boss won't be there. Had a good night's sleep. Then I wake up and swipe swipe the wrong way on my phone. Hour and a half later, I'm still in bed. So. Um, so yeah. you were like two hours late to work. Yeah. Yeah. Big shift. Big shift in the plans. The house retirement. <clears throat> Actually, I I did look at uh, my pension. Um, it has about five grand in it. Um, That's exceptional so, if you live in... Yeah, in Guam. <laughs> um, I might need to work a couple more years. Oh, so your your plans are changing or... Or what's going on? Probably not, but they should. He's going to start at the south end of the PCT trail and then go south. Yeah. In, in, in New Mexico. <laughs> with his five grand. I'm sure they have mountains down there. Yeah, we have a we have a guest here and we'll we'll say we'll you know, we'll say who she is in just a moment, but just so you know, we're catching up on on some old uh stories that we've told on the podcast. Okay. Scott's going to go on a, theme, yeah. yeah, Scott's going to go on a journey. Um, he's selling his house. But, he's selling he his house. He's quitting his job. My boss might listen to this. He may or may not be quitting his job. Actually, I... You actually told... You told I, your boss four months ago, I mean, quitting I think in four months. I think it was January. January, February. So we're at six or seven months ago. I told him I was probably going to quit in four months. You know what? <laughs> I just, I just, I just remembered something, um, folks. We had a great guest. He hasn't brought we, it wait, up. Wait, wait. We got a great guest. We got a great guest tonight. It's Diane Cranley, and actually, Diane, you, you, uh, as a part of your story, this idea of taking a different fork in the road is kind of a part of your 
your story, right? It is. Okay. Um, so we'll get to that. Well, good. I'm glad someone here is going to affirm me, Diane. So, yeah. Yes. And when you hear, I hope when you hear Diane's story, you will just be affirmed in the choice that you're about to make in life. And notice it, it yeah. gives you, it'll give you hope. And you're just going to feel like you just walked out of a Tony Robbins uh, seminar and you're going to be all pumped up. And after all of that glory that Diane brings to the story wears off for you, we hope Jesus really takes over in your life and you accept Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And you just take that fork in the road. And I'm joking, Scott. I... I'm joking. Notice Jeff wants to encourage me through Diane. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just not not directly, indirectly. But it's great. Well, when you hear people's stories, you're encouraged, right? It depends on how her story goes and how that applies to his story. If it, it remains to be seen, if that's actually encouraging or not, you may have made a terrible mistake selling your house, Scott. (laughs) Oh, have you sold your house? Not yet. But it's on the market. Yeah. So update. The house is on the market. Things are moving forward. If you sold it next week, where would you go? Um, I think I got a buddy who has a, uh, an RV I could, I could probably rent. Okay, that would be me. Oh, is yeah. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. So how much, how much so a month? So should I tell my wife in 30 days? To uh, move out so I can move in, yeah. Scott is going to be moving next door into the RV. Yeah, she needs to no, move No, she out. can go to the RV. I think it's what <laughs> Scott's getting at. Okay. And I will be on you the curb. A, you got a double bed, right? A double bed? In the RV? Oh, you mean the bunk bed in the kids' room. Room. That probably violates one of Diane's rules as well. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to It violates with. one of my rules, too. <laughs> yeah. Um. I love it how we just... Got on this topic somehow. Right. Scott's going to come to the RV, and then he's going to end up in my house. He's going to end up in my kid's room, sleeping on one of the bunk beds. And, it, it, <clears throat> yeah, well. It doesn't sound bad if you were Uncle Scott. I thought I was, but. Here's Uncle Scott. Yeah. He doesn't have anywhere to live, so. Yeah, kids. He's, he's quitting his job, and he's going to stay in here. He doesn't really have much to go on, but. Uh, yeah, don't. Take that as an example of not of what not to do. Yeah, I like the idea of going for it. That's uh, that I'm all I mean, about you need, that. You need the money? No, I mean just the idea of looking forward and saying I'm going for it. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Well, m- I'm probably gonna do it. The, yeah, I know you are. You're convicted. I've been hiking. Oh, because if that means anything, right? You're preparing for the PCT. Yeah, that's what you've been doing lately. Yeah. Putting the house on the market. I should be at 100 miles this month. Starting to hike. That's a lot. Yeah. Getting fit. I'm hungry still. I've had three pieces of pizza. Zach, this is going to be amazing. This this boy is going to come back with a wife from the PCT trail. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. That would be a God thing. We would then have him on our podcast. Scott, you dropped everything. You quit your job. It would restore my faith in miracles. That would be amazing. Well... Yeah, I mean, I don't think women really shave their armpits on the trail, so 
Well, neither do you, do you so even playing field. Right, that's true. Scott, that's I, true. if you hold that against a woman who's been out on the trail for like four months and you're like, oh, shoot, nope, not going to work, <sighs> I, will, I will punch you. That's fair. I appreciate that. Diane, what do you think about that? I don't know. There's, I haven't seen any hairy armpits on the trail that I've been on. So <laughs> okay. I'm, well, that's good. I'm not sure I have experience in that area. Yeah. Which trail have you been on? Uh, I've been on this, uh, this miraculous trail of God's leading. I like it. I like it. Good transition. Excellent. Away from our... Well, I have yeah. to say as a transition too, it's interesting that you mentioned Tony Robbins mm-hmm. because uh, I remember the night that God called me to quit my job and follow him down that trail. One of the things he said is, Diane, you always thought that you had what Tony Robbins had. You had the ability to do that, mm. but you just never had the subject. So mm. now he gave me the subject. So wow. mm. it's interesting of all the people you could have mentioned of inspirational speakers mm. that Tony Robbins was the one you chose. Nice. Yeah. That's good. I was a big, I've always been a big Tony Robbins fan. Yeah. So Those huge hands. <laughs> We've talked about Tony Robbins before. So, Diane, where were you 10 years ago in life? Hmm. So I'll take you 10 years and six months ago. All right. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he was remotely close is impressive. Yeah, because that's where the change really happened. I um, actually thought, where will I ask her to go <laughs> 10 years Okay, God, 10 years. And ten she's years. like, nope, 10 years and six months. Good try. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. God. <laughs> I, right. I was uh, a single mother of um, two daughters. I was in software sales, had a very lucrative career, worked, uh, worked hard, worked a lot of hours, probably about 60 hours a week, and uh, completely independent, no, um, no means of support really from... Um, the men in my life mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, life on the surface seemed good. Uh, but I didn't know God at the time and uh, I had been raised Catholic, but had, um, turned away from God in my teens and kind of spent most of my adult life without him. Right. But seemingly, um, things were good on the surface until <laughs> look good or they, you really thought they were good. And then something shattered that. I think both. I think um, it looked good. And um, and I don't know that I knew that it could feel better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so from my perspective, I was content. But I just, it was pretty empty looking back now. But I didn't know it at the time. So then did you have a purpose? I mean, did you? F- I didn't. No. I, had, I had no purpose. My purpose was... Um, was to make money, to survive, mm-hmm. to take care of my kids. I had um, my one goal in life was to become a millionaire because I felt like if I had a million dollars, I would be safe and secure and mm. my kids would be okay. So that was my, my sound, focus. Sounds familiar. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think many people get focused on that. And particularly in Southern California, you know, we live in a pretty affluent area. And um, so my focus was on money. It was on job. It was on success. And... Um, you know, taking care of my family was certainly part of my everyday being single. It's not like I was uh, not engaged in that, but that wasn't where my heart was. So what were you doing to earn that million dollars at the time? 
I sold software uh, for a variety of companies over the years. I focused primarily in the call center uh, world. So, you know, if you call your insurance company or cell phone carrier and the folks on the other end of the call, I sold um, knowledge management software, call tracking software, um, voice speech analytics. So we would record all the calls when they say your call is being recorded for quality purposes. You were the person listening. I was selling the software that listened. And then the software actually did an analysis and could tell you why your customers were calling. And what the was that your voice were. too? Wow. Uh, your call maybe. No, 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 no. Although, although I ran a call center for a while and that was my voice. So yes, awesome. at one point it was. Can you give us just a taste of that? Do you remember what you said? <laughs> no, I don't remember what I said. I don't at all. You are delinquent on your bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the one Scott hears. Yeah. 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 Although I must have I must have that voice because I'm doing some work for a, a client currently in my new career and uh, we were going to do some video uh, voiceover stuff and we were talking about who was going to record and they, they heard me and they said, oh, that's the voice. So I guess I still got it, whatever it was I had back there in the call center days. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So anyways, I, I derailed you. So software sales. 10 years, six months. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 10 years and six months ago, my youngest daughter disclosed that my ex-husband was molesting her. And that certainly uh, shook our world. How it, old was she at the time? Uh, she was almost 11 when she disclosed. She had been being abused um, when she was 9 and 10. And, is, um, is this her father? Or? It was not her biological father. My kids are from two um, uh, different dads. So it was my, actually my older daughter's dad who molested my younger daughter. So I had already been divorced, but he was still very much a part of my life. He was kind of more like a little brother. He was uh, always hanging around. Uh, I traveled on business, so he we actually exchanged. He didn't have to pay any child support for his daughter if um, he babysat for me and mm. took care of both the kids while I traveled, which I thought was a great thing. I was going to hire a nanny. And, um, it thought, was convenient. It, well, it was convenient and I trusted him. I mean, mm -hmm. I had known him for almost 30 years. And so certainly who else would I want to be in the home with my kids when I was sure. gone? So, um, yeah. And actually it was kind of interesting. It was probably, you know, one of my first real, uh, encounters with God was, um, she ended up disclosing because I confronted her. She had been sick for about nine months. I uh, had been in therapy for, um, sleep problems. And the therapist kind of kept looking, uh, kind of focused on her and I's relationship and issues there and, you know, separation, anxiety and so forth. And, uh, and over a period of time, God just revealed to me that, um, all of the signs of, um, kind of a, a typical child molester. And I literally had not seen them at all. Mm. And, um, God just kind of lifted the veil one day and lined up all of the obvious signs. And, you know, my, oh my I just literally took my breath away. And so the next, um, session, we, you know, brought her into the therapist and talked to her about sexual abuse and what it was and the fact that, you know, they tell you not to tell. And then we just waited <laughs> and, um, she finally disclosed what had been happening. So, mm. and when you say that God revealed to you, how do you have like a practical example? Like how did that look for you? Cause I know that can mean a lot of different things to different people, how God speaks. Yeah. You know, for me, it's, um, it was almost this connecting the dots and, um, it wasn't audible, but it certainly was a voice inside of me that, um, I could just sense, I could just sense. Mm. And it was, it was a, a shining of a light on very specific incidents and the, the voice kind of connecting the dots. 
And you couldn't ignore it. Anymore. I couldn't. And you know, when it really struck me was I was actually, um, kind of coordinating a, a trip to the zoo where my ex-husband was going to take my daughter and a friend of hers. And, um, when we were coordinating it at one point, the, the other mother said, Oh, you know, I, I said that I wasn't going, that just, he was going and he had taken them places many times. So it wasn't really that unusual, but she had thought I was going with them at this time. She said, Oh, well, mm. you know, let me talk to my husband. Just, you know, that's kind of wasn't what we were thinking. And, you know, I'll get back mm. to you. And so she came back and said, no, you know, she's not going to be able to go. And, you know, I wanted to stand up and defend him and say, well, you know, why not? <laughs> and I realized I couldn't. I realized I couldn't defend him because all, you know, all these other pieces had started to kind of play, um, play into my mind and, and the trend mm. and so forth. So, uh, so anyway, so she disclosed and, you know, the therapist called CPS that day and, um, that started a new life for wow. us, quite honestly. And one of the, yeah. the biggest things that changed that day is actually that I'm a survivor of sexual abuse as well. Uh, from somebody outside of my family. It was a modeling teacher, photography kind of guy. And I had never told anybody for 33 years until the day after my daughter disclosed. And I just didn't want her to feel alone, mm. you know, that she was the only one. Um, so not only did I have to go through the process of, you know, helping my kids and going through the legal process and so forth, but I had to begin my own healing journey at the same time. Wow. How old were, were you? I mean, if this is okay, you, you can I'm an open book. How old were you when you uh, were molested? I was about 12 or 13. Pretty close. Um, and I always thought it happened just that once is kind of the way I had it in my mind. I never forgot that it happened, but I never really considered it abuse. You know, when I would see a news article or something about abuse, I didn't say, oh, yeah, like me too. I just, ne I mean, I always knew. I just never really considered that that's what it was. But um, it really did change my life. I became very promiscuous and I always had relationships with older men, uh, adults. So there was mm -hmm. really actually many perpetrators over the years. If you actually looked at it from a legal perspective, even though I kind of always put it in this realm that I was in relationships with them. So, mm. um, yeah, so anyway, so I had a lot of, of my own stuff to unravel, which is why when you asked me, you know, when I said life was, was pretty good and you said, well, did it just look good or feel good <laughs> right. or what? And you know, I, I, um, so many survivors are in emotional pain and we all choose some coping mechanism right. and a lot of people choose alcohol or drugs or rage or, you know, cutting or eating disorders, whatever it may yeah. be. And, and I, I probably chose the most lucrative, <laughs> um, solution and that was to become a workaholic. And I just, I worked all the time and it was my way of not ever having to be alone with my emotions. Yeah. I can imagine. So when, when you, when you hear this out of your daughter's mouth, you hear her speak the words of, you know, what's happened to her and what's been going on and, and being in your shoes and your, I mean, your, your daughter is really, she's in the same place you were many, many years ago. What's going, I mean, where's your heart? Where's your mm. mind? Where, yeah. where are you? Yeah. Well, it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking. And I, I had worked very hard over the years to make sure that my kids weren't abused. The problem was because I never healed, I could only focus on the way it happened to me. So my kids had opportunities to act and model and all these things. And I would mm -hmm. say, no, no, over my dead body, there's mm -hmm. no way. I wouldn't let them go into the types of 
dangerous situations that, uh, that I became a victim in, but I never thought for a second that it could happen in my own home. And even when I was home, mm-hmm. uh, I just mm-hmm. had no idea. So, you know, it's part of the problem when survivors don't heal, you know, we can easily become either hypervigilant or we can become kind of dissociated and, and not see what's happening right in front of us. And then right. that's really kind of where I was. Um, although, although I have to say, I think most parents and even most professionals, whether it's teachers or doctors or, you know, um, therapists, um, CPS, people don't really understand what this looks like before, you know, a perpetrator has crossed the line. They really don't understand what the signs are, um, which is why I do what I do now. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get there just yet. I I feel like we're, there's just a gold mine, gold mine, gold mine, gold mine. She does have a gold mine. Yeah, take don't because we're at ten months, ten years, six months. Well, let's take go back like, further because you mentioned yeah. you hadn't he, you had not healed yes. when your daughter revealed to you. So, what what were some of the ways that <clears throat> I, I guess if you don't mind going into your backstory and talking about that and just kind of what are things that were missed? What are signs that people around you missed? Um, what prevented you from healing? Um, I mean, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to hear all that leading up to your daughter and, and then eventually to what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Um, well, there are a few things. I think it was probably less obvious in my life than I think in a, for a lot of parents who uh, whose kids have been abused. Because I was, a I don't know, pretty good actress, maybe. <laughs> you know, again, I kind of chose this road of putting on a really great front. Um, so I don't think it was obvious, but there were certainly times that I was, um, I remember being suicidal, uh, in my teen years and, you know, sitting in my room trying to decide whether I was going to make it through this. And, um, and I did, I just, I chose, I've always been kind of a lemons to lemonade kind of gal, I guess. So I would, you know, I just chose right there. I mean, the fork on the, in the Mm -hmm. road, you know, which way am I going to go? Am I going to let this take me out or not? So, um, so I moved forward. I mean, I always did well in school and so forth. So that wasn't really a problem. I think where the signs became more obvious, and again, not necessarily to my parents, but now knowing what it looks like, looking back, I think one of the biggest first signs was when um, I got pregnant with my first daughter and she was born, uh, my health literally went off the cliff. Mm. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, mm. could barely walk, was on all kinds of drugs, um, could barely work. I really thought I was going to kind of be disabled the rest of my life and mm. have to quit my job. It was that bad. And, um, you know, it's not until years later that I, you know, kind of delved into this whole world that, um, I realized the impact that sexual abuse can have on, um, on moms particularly and, and even dads, but there's actually a great book called when survivors give birth. And it, it really just talks about the triggering of all of the old emotions, um, that are affected. You know, am I going to be able to protect my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, even the fact that you have no control over the situation, right? You've got this thing growing in you and there's changes and things happening. There's hormones, there's all kinds of physical changes, emotional changes, a lot happening that's completely out of your control. And though I don't remember a lot of specific things for me, you know, there are just things even in the medical profession that people might say, you know, if they're giving you, you know, anesthesia, they might say, well, if you hold still, it won't hurt, right? You know, yeah. things like that. They wow. might just, you know, just the author- an authority figure. Um, there's all kinds of things that can yeah. be very triggering for, um, for particularly women. But even men, when they have their first kids, you know, just this feeling of not being able to protect them can be very triggering. Was so, there... 
That was a big piece. For the fibromyalgia and all those, the other um, medical um, comorbidity, is that the word? Yeah. Um, with the pregnancy, were, were those more psychosomatic because of um, the abuse or? Yeah, I, I don't, so I don't know that there's a direct correlation. Those kinds of anxiety um, medical conditions are very, very common. Uh, in survivors, whether it's depression, anxiety, fibromyalgia, um, <clears throat> autoimmune immune disorders like lupus, all those kinds of things. So, um, I mean, I th so for me, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that this is not just uh, a physical violation, it's really a spiritual violation. And so I think there's a lot of spiritual elements to that as well. I think our body stores emotions, it stores fear, shame, Totally. You know, anger, all totally kinds agree. of things. Um, and then I think there's the spiritual openings that that those things have and, and the enemy tries to get a hold of them. And so I think mm. there's a lot of layers of, you know, including just even physical um, kind of body memories that a lot of mm. people, I mean, so a lot of people will actually literally relive in a post-traumatic stress kind of triggering way. They, they will relive a rape or something like that where they can literally feel like it's happening right at that moment. So there's a lot of different layers to yeah. those kinds of things that happen. You mentioned, according to the legal system, you were abused. And uh, I'm, so that's like your teenage years, you're dating, was it like willing you were willing. dating older yeah, men? Yeah, I was dating older men. Yeah. You know, they were, you know, 20 when I was 14 and they were, you know, 30 when I was 16 and they were, wow. <laughs> you know, 40. Wow. I mean, there was, and again, I you know, looking back, I wouldn't call them dating, right? Really, I was um, in an intimate sexual relationship right. with them. You know, it's not like I was bringing them home to, you know, family events right. or something, right? <laughs> so, but again, it was very twisted in my mind. Mm -hmm. So, and what, did you have an idea of God at that time? What, how were you raised? I didn't really. I was raised Catholic, and I had turned away from God really in my teens because I. Um, it was really about the time I was thinking about um, suicide. I think I just was so ashamed of who I'd become. So I, I chose not to take that path, but I also chose to hide mm -hmm. <laughs> from God. And, you know, I, I always say it's kind of like a little kid playing hide and seek where they put their hands over their eyes and think if they can't see you, right. you know, they, that uh, you can't see them. So, um, yeah. My daughter I mean, actually I, has sunglasses <laughs> that do that. She actually turns invisible. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I really thought I could just go about my way and he wouldn't see me. How old were you when the suicide thoughts were? I was probably about 16. Okay. Yeah. So. so what changed? You said you didn't have healing, but what was there a shift for you where you got out of this pattern of behavior? Um, there was when I was, um, I mean, to some extent, when I turned 18, I decided to move um, to another state and go to college, and uh, that changed. I ended up meeting my ex-husband there. Um, which again, I thought was, you know, kind of my key to getting out of this pattern. And, you know, he ended up being a child molester. So <laughs> what I thought was a, was a good thing turned out oh, to not be a good God. thing, but I didn't know it at the time, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, so I went through all this with, you know, when I got pregnant, uh, when my daughter, uh, oldest daughter got to be the age that I was when I was abused, when she was about 12, um, was another big trigger point for me. I literally screamed and cried for about three years. Um, mm. and screamed at my kids. So it was not, not good. I was, you know, very much emotionally abusive at that time and didn't even recognize that I was being abusive mm -hmm. and certainly had no 
correlation between that and what had happened to me until, mm. you know, years later until I started, you know, going to therapy myself and I realized, so. Zach, you have something else in that arena? <clears throat> I just want her to keep talking. I mean. And, no, and I, I do. <laughs> I do as well. I'm just, I'm thinking about the cycle. Like you, you, you had this cycle of abuse. You chose a man who ended up abusing your daughter. And then now it's like, there's this cycle. And as, as, you know, as people, we're always wanting to break the cycle. Yeah. Or those of us who just recognize. I'm not sure we always are. I'm, no, and I was going to say, we, we and, want those, to. and those of us who recognize even, re so some, some, yeah. there's different levels. Some don't even recognize it. Some recognize it, don't know what to do. They don't have the tools. And then there's those that recognize it and, and they're like, I, I have tools or I'm going to discover, I'm going to uncover what is needed for breaking out of this cycle, break, you know, yourself or your family lineage out of a terrible cycle in your case of, of abuse and yeah. That's, I mean, that's literally taking a stand in the world. So I, I have a question, piggybacking Go, yeah. on that a little Go. bit. Do you think there's anything to this cycle thing? Like you marrying mm -hmm. the man you married, is that more than coincidence in your head? Uh, yeah, and I think And you have a lot of experience is. with this, obviously. Yeah, so. I think it is. And, and, and let me just say, too, it's interesting for me, the cycle of abuse, because I grew up in a great family. My, my parents are... I don't even know what year, 68 years of marriage or something. I mean, you know, they're still married, love each other. We had a great upbringing. So I was really the first generation in my family mm. to get hit. So it's not, you know, some people have, you know, are the 10th generation right. of incest or something in their mm -hmm. families. And, and that wasn't us, but it got two generations before, you know, we've figured this out and, and figured out how to stand up against it. But, um, no, I think, um, see, that's where I think there's really, um, there's two things. I think in the earthly realm, people tend to choose abusers if they've been um, raised by an abuser, right? So if they've grown up with emotional abuse or physical abuse or an alcoholic or something like that, that feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so they do end up choosing that. Again, that wasn't my case because I really had a very healthy um, family. But, but I think mine was more in the spiritual realm. Um, for me, I think that... Um, you know, I, I believe in the enemy. I believe <laughs> there, you know, he's out to, to, um, kill, steal and destroy. And I think there's a familiarity between spirits. I think there's a spirit of abuse that says, Hey, I got an easy target over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I literally, you know, I think the spirits are talking to each other. I think he had a spirit of, you know, something going on and you know, there was, there became an attraction in the spiritual realm that I do think, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Um, but then again, the generation, you know, in my case, like there's no way I was going to sexually abuse my kids, but I ended up emotionally abusing them because, you know, I had yeah. so much anger. Right. So, yeah. so I think the dysfunction continues in families if you don't heal, even if the specific kind of abuse doesn't continue, you know, whether you drink too much or, you know, again, even just being a workaholic, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that's, that's part of a cycle. That's something you don't want. Right. When did, when did you recognize that? you were being emotionally abusive to your children. It wasn't until after my daughter disclosed and okay. I started bringing her to therapy and I went to therapy and uh, okay. started working through my own stuff. 
Yeah, it wasn't until her disclosure. And so, you know, as much as, of course, it kills me what happened to her and and the process of having disclosed and go through that, you know, I'm just so thankful that, um, you know, that she told, um, you know, I came right. to know the Lord, she's come to know the <laughs> Lord. Um, you know, Sweet. we've, you know, we're now working in partnership with God, saving millions and millions of kids. So, you know, I, I can't ever look back on this and say, I wish none of this would have happened because I've got a purpose in God's kingdom wow, that I that's you know, never had before. That's powerful. Um, I'm so excited to get getting to the saving millions and millions I, of kids. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Jump ahead. I'm sorry. I'm like with the rope. But, but I'm holding going, it back. But I was going to say, I'm just giving you a little taste, but yeah, we'll, we'll take it slow, Zach. I'm just, I'm just following like, you. Um, what advice... So when you realized the pattern you were in personally when you were young and you realized uh, what was going on, well, I don't know if there was a moment where you realized it, but what advice would you give to somebody in you in you, that situation yeah because like give, I think give Jeff, your old self that advice and if anybody knows somebody that's listening to this that can yeah. do that yeah jeff you mentioned possibly one of your students right um mm-hmm. <laughs> in elementary school yeah. Did, yeah that maybe going out with a oh yeah older person right that's, and that's yeah. just like what the like heck? what would you yeah. tell your old your your old self your young self yeah back then now well, um, first off, I think anybody, uh, well, let me take two sides. Let me just tell you, it's not healthy and it's not normal for teenagers to date older men. It's just not, I'm just going to, it's against the law. <laughs> it's morally, you know, um, not appropriate and it's emotionally damaging. So where's the, what would be, it almost sounds silly coming out of my mouth, but what's the age where it seems like it's crossing into not normal? Well, I mean, I think if there's more than a couple of years difference, you know, two, three years difference, it's not appropriate. It's just as simple as that. And even, you know, even at, you know, I mean, legally at 16, you know, you got to be careful dating a 19 year old. You know, you Mm -hmm. you can't be having sex. You know, if you're 19, don't be having sex with a 16 year old. You could end up in jail. You Mm -hmm. could end up on the sex offender registry list for life. I mean, this, this, these are dangerous things for a variety of reasons. So even yeah. though the age difference may be within a few years, I mean, until you're both over 18, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, you got to be careful. You got to be careful about the consequences. That's so, man, that's so tricky. If you're in high school and you're happen to be an old senior and you're intimately involved with somebody, man, just like one day can be the difference between Yes. That's a whole other conversation. I'm it sure. is a whole other conversation. But, so, but let me so, so go on. So that's one thing from that perspective. I mean, I just, because I think a lot of, um, a lot of people think that that's okay. And, um, and I'm just telling you, it's not emotionally healthy. So um, if you have been in those relationships, particularly if there's a power differential, right? So there, you know, abuse doesn't always look necessarily like we think, you know, I got raped or something like that. If you're just with somebody who's older, who's more, you know, who's controlling or manipulative or, um, you know, physically more powerful, um, all, all kinds of things, those are abusive situations and they're not, they're not okay and they're not healthy. And so, you know, I think it's important to get help. I mean, if you've been in any of those kinds of relationships, it's important to get to a therapist, it's important to just break the silence. I mean, the name of my nonprofit, see, I'm going to jump ahead just for a moment. Do it, do it, Again, go for it. It's called Talk, T-A-A-L-K, which is Talk About Abuse to Liberate dot org. Kids. Sorry, yeah. I stepped on it. Say talk.org, T-A-A-L-K.org. 
but I mean, we've got to break the silence on these things because, um, you know, as long as we keep it in the dark, it eats away at us and it gives the enemy power. So, you know, whatever it is that's happening, um, you know, to you, I, it just, it's important to talk about it, get to a therapist, talk to a friend, talk to your parents, uh, whatever it may be. And, and, you know, I do a lot of work with adult survivors and I know folks that have been, uh, abused as kids and 30, 40, 50 years later, like me have never talked about it. So I encourage you even today you to know, go tell somebody, you know, I know there's, I know there's, uh, you know, we had a little conversation before we started the podcast and, and that was you going, I don't know, you know, if your listeners are going to want to, you know, if they're going to be interested in this topic and I, and as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, okay, we have a lot more men listening to this podcast than women. We do have women listening to this podcast and you would think, well, that's, that's more relevant for the women. However, we have a lot of fathers and a, a lot of fathers that have daughters and sons and and who care for their families dearly and f- for it not to be relevant for them is you know that just delete that statement because it's yeah. relevant for for everyone um, because ultimately we want to protect our kids yeah we want to have you know good families we want to raise our kids in a healthy environment and well, yes, Jeff, but let me also add, um, you know, the statistics are one out of every four girls and one out of every six boys are sexually abused by the time they're 18. And I will tell you, my belief is that that statistic for men is way low. I think mm. most men would take this to their grave. Yeah. So there's a lot of mm. male survivors that I'm sure are listening mm. here, not just the women. And I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't have to be this way. Like tell somebody, get help get free because there is a whole life beyond this. Um, the abuse that happened to us does not create our identity, right? We were born in the image of God and that never went away. No matter what somebody did to you, the shame that covers you is just a blanket that Satan has over you. Mm. And God will pull that off if you will let him. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's heavy. I mean, that's, That's a that's a heavy burden yeah. to carry. Yeah. It is for certain. It is. Yeah. And for mo- for most survivors, I think they just simply don't know what to do with it. They don't e- know e- even how to begin. And a lot of people begin kind of in just that earthly realm of going to a therapist and support groups or something, and that's awesome. Like get started. Um, but again, I, I believe this is a spiritual violation, and I I think people can go so far in the earthly realm through therapy and and uh, different kinds of modalities. But I think to truly be free and be able to walk in the abundant life that God has for you, you've got to address the spiritual violation and take background from the enemy. You can't let him continue um, to be the master of your life through false identity. And so that's a process that, you know, I encourage everybody to go through, even if you've been through therapy, to, you know, start looking at uh, at scripture and what the truth is of, um, you know, who you are. Okay, so you're you're speaking you're speaking our language here, and I'm so I'm when I'm going back ten and a half years, and I'm thinking, okay, not you know, kind of a rebelling or you know, God doing any part of whatever that is, and now moving forward here, when when does our Lord and Savior come in <laughs> and step into Diane's life, or when do you allow? 
him in. Yes. Well, yeah, we didn't get... I'm sorry, Jeff. We didn't get that much past your daughter. So how does... You, I'm trying to piggyback I'm on you. I'm chomping at the bit here, Zach. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But you and your daughter, Diane, you weren't he- healed. You were emotionally abusing, which you didn't know at the time, which is important for what Jeff said a little bit earlier about people listening. There could be people listening that it could just dawn on them that, that they're, they are emotionally abusive and they don't even know it. You didn't know it, right? No, I really didn't. So with your daughter, how did the healing start? Like when did that process start with you and your daughter Yeah. and, and for your own personal healing? Well, um, so I'll give you a few tidbits of the first year after she disclosed. Um, so first off, we did go through the legal process. Um, initially, um, you know, she was interviewed, um, by CPS. There was not enough evidence. It was kind of a, he said, she said, I mean, they believed her, but there wasn't enough evidence. Um, and so the police tried to do a covert phone call, which, um, failed. Um, honestly, I mean, my, the police and the, and the, uh, investigators were great with us, but they honestly didn't know how to do it. They had us call from, uh, a blocked phone number and they scripted the call and he knew in an instant that, uh, he was being recorded. So he hung up. So, um, but they gave me the, um, green light to record him at any time, which means that it would be admissible in court, oh, wow. um, since it was under their direction. So I actually ended up befriending him and it took, a, I don't know, four or five months and I ended up getting an hour long recording of him talking about what he did. And so that was the evidence that caused him actually to plead guilty. Um, cause he knew he would be convicted based on that. So he did get um, a six-year sentence. He served a little over five years. Um, he is out of prison now, lives out in San Bernardino County. Uh, matter of fact, he's actually, uh, I, we had a 10-year restraining order, which will end this December. Uh, and then I think he has another year of parole um, where he can't leave the county and so mm. forth. So he has a GPS bracelet um, until he's off parole, and he is a lifetime registered sex offender. So that was took much of our first year mm-hmm. uh, emotionally. So while there was healing starting, there was, you know, the focus on the legal process. So that she disclosed in January and he went to prison in December. So that year was, you know, very much focused on that process. Mm. Um, exhausting? Uh, yeah, exhausting. The word that comes to mind is surreal. I mean, I, I can't, and my heart just goes out to every parent who has to go through this. Um, it's just so difficult for anybody who hasn't been through it to understand what that feels like because you've got kids falling apart. You've got, you know, suicidal kids that don't want to eat. You know, they're, they're sick. They don't want to go to school. They're scared. They can't sleep in their own rooms. Um, you know, all kinds of things going on. Uh, and you know, I'm trying to heal myself and we're going through the legal process. And in the meantime, I have to go to work five days a week and I've got to make lunches and get them to school mm. and get them to sports and get them to, and it's you just, you got to make this, that million dollars. I got to make the million dollars <laughs> so that we're going to be okay. Uh, and so, I mean, that first year particularly is just, I mean, you, I look back, I have uh. no idea how I got through it. I mean, I just, I can't even, um, I can't even comprehend how all of that continued because everything mm. has to keep going. You can't just stop, right? Life, right. life keeps going while you're trying to deal with all of this. And how, how do you feel about the sentence? Um, I, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, um, my daughter was not the only child that he abused. It was mm. the only child he was charged with. 
but in the process we found multiple survivors. So um, he certainly wasn't held accountable for all he did, so that's disappointing. Um, however, in these cases, they're hard to prove. There's very little physical evidence. Um, it depends on how old the kids are and how you know far it went, all kinds of things. But, um, but it's also difficult to put a child through a trial and have to face their perpetrator and so forth. So a plea bargain is... I think a good compromise. Um, my biggest thing is that he's a registered sex offender and everybody knows to be right. careful. Right. Yeah. So that to me is, was, you know, kind of the number one and enough time for him to, you know, be held accountable and have time to think about what he did and so forth. Um, so, I mean, you know, we could have gotten maybe 10 years if we'd gone to trial, but that would have been very traumatic on my daughter and would have taken probably another year. Uh, and, and that's just wasn't worth it. The bad part about that is plea bargains then show what they pleaded guilty to, not what they actually did and what they were charged with. So perpetrators tend to look less dangerous Mm. on the sex offender registry than they really are because the, um, what they were actually convicted of in the end is much less than what they were charged with. So, you know, there's a little false security there that we really understand how dangerous, you know, the the people on that list are. Mm. Where I, I think it was where I used to live. I went on the, is it the Megan's Megan's Law? Law. And I'm like, who lives around me? And then I had some people pop up and I, and uh, I didn't know, I kind of, uh, you see where they live and I, and then I see what they were charged with or convicted now that you're saying that i'm like oh jesus you know <laughs> like, there was worse than that please yeah i mean well, it's just horrible yeah. it's horrible yeah and i do encourage every parent to go um and look look who lives in your community mm-hmm. know what you know look at their pictures know what their faces mm-hmm. look like uh, know where there's danger so um So anyway, so that was the year of, you know, kind of the legal process. But then you had asked about the healing, but I felt like I kind of had to cover that first because you can't really even hardly get to healing when you're going through that. Yeah. Yeah. As Um, long as you have time, we have time. So don't, don't worry about it. Sure. So, um, we did start our healing. So she disclosed in January, um, in March, a friend invited me back to church. Um, I was certainly distraught enough that that seemed like a pretty good idea <laughs> at the time. And, uh, I gave my life, um, to Christ within, um, within a matter of weeks and, um, within 60 days, God woke me up in the middle of the night. Um, and I kind of journaled on my computer and he said, you know, kind of, I just heard, get out your computer. Uh, it was like four in the morning and I got out my computer and opened up a word document blank Mm. And um, just started to listen. And the first words out of his mouth were, quit your job. <laughs> Scott, quit sorry, your I'm job. I'm looking up sex offenders on <laughs> Megan's law. Oh, he is. He's got his phone. <laughs> I'm kind of scared. Next to the house he's about to sell. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's not next to the house he's about to buy. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, his first words were, quit your job and commit the rest of your life to the mission I've set before you. Okay, hold on. Yeah, that's a big one. Hold on. How much doubt is running through your head when you're hearing that? Zero. Awesome. It was, you know, people. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Jeff is glowing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, people will ask me about that, and were you sure? And what? I mean, it was an encounter with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, you know, it's like when Jesus rose from the grave and people saw him. It wasn't like, oh, do we really think it's him? And 
Although Doubting Thomas, I guess, was concerned. But yeah. um, but it was very... She looked it, at me when she said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, I mean, it was an encounter with the Lord. It was undeniable. Um, and it went on literally for a half hour. I mean, it wasn't just a one sentence. Mm-hmm. He went on to literally give me a picture of what my life was going to look like. And, um, you know, that I was going to connect millions of people, that I was going to, you know, um, help parents protect their kids. I was going to help survivors heal. Uh, he gave me a heart for offenders. I mean, he basically told me that they're victims too. And um, he asked me to love them for him. Um, he asked me, he told me that if I committed my life to take care of his kids, that he would take care of mine in return. Yes. Um, so it was a pretty amazing half hour. Um, I took a leave of absence from my job the next morning. Wow. Uh, I called my parents. I remember reading this thing to my father and he says like, but you're not quitting your job, right? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, (laughs) actually, I think I am is what I said. And, you know, of course, as a father of a daughter who's a single mom, right? He's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, I like that God guy, but wait a minute, you know, um, but it was very clear. So I, I took. Yeah, a God leave. doesn't say wait a minute. No, no. Mm. The timing is never. Um, God says go. <laughs> he says go. And you know what? People have asked me, um, you know, how I felt. You know, they've they've thanked me for my obedience and you know to the calling and so on and so forth. But you know, I tell people, I, you know, I think at different times in your life you connect with different characters in Scripture, and for me, probably the closest connection is with Mary. It's not like Mary said, oh, I'm pregnant. Let me think about it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, she didn't have a choice. It was her new life. It yeah. was an anointing. She was called. It already was. And that's very much what the Lord made clear that night is not like I'm, I'm asking you or I'm calling you. He said, let me show you a picture of your new life. And it just was. I, and I could, I could tell in the encounter that he had already seen it happen. And it was undeniable from your perspective as well. Yeah. I just, it just fit like a glove. I just, so there wasn't really much deciding. Um, so Mm -hmm. I took a leave of absence. Um, how long ago was this? Uh, it was 10 years ago in May. Oh, that's why I said, see, we had to go back 10 years and six months to the time of disclosure. Oh, but 10 years, it was the 10 years that God was speaking to you. That, that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Ten years from the day God That's spoke fantastic. to me. It's so, uh, man, uh, you having this ideal for yourself of making a million dollars in money and the, and just driven by that to go here, quit your job, and then the next day you're like starting the process, no hesitation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and and you know I do believe in and. As long as we've got time, I'll tell you about that journey. Absolutely, do it. Because him taking that master of money away from me has been the most incredible experience um, of my life. Um, because it was, it was what drove me, and so I, I took a leave of absence. I didn't really know. I started the nonprofit. Literally, I started filing the next day, figuring out how do you do that. Uh, I started the nonprofit. Didn't had no background in social services. You know, human services, nonprofit, had n- had nothing. And I just kept saying, I don't understand. And God just kept telling me, if somebody else could do it, it would already be done. You've, you're the chosen mm. one to do this. Just follow me. So mm. I did. I ended up just taking a few months off. I went back to work because I really didn't understand this, 
<laughs> how do I do this? Um, but I ended up working both the nonprofit and my full-time job for about three and a half years. Uh, and then I did quit my job. Um, I wasn't making any money. Uh, so for 10 years, I have been running um, support groups for adult survivors, uh, support groups for parents whose kids have been abused, and um, teaching prevention mm -hmm. in both for parents as well as in youth-serving organizations, so churches and schools and so forth, uh, for 10 years not getting paid wow. <laughs> for it. So um, six and a half years, I went without a paycheck. And again, working, having working that commitment to work towards that million dollars, uh, you know, I had a lot of equity in my house. I had cash. I had, you know, an investment portfolio. I had 401k. And let me just note that past tense had. <laughs> <laughs> Today, all of that is gone. He depleted every bit of it. Uh, and that was a, that was a tough journey being single, having no other income, uh, and watching the money go away. And I remember him telling me years ago, I'm going to restore your income to $200,000 a year before the money's gone. And I thought he meant the cash. Right. <laughs> so then the cash was gone. I was like, well, where's my $200,000 new career, yeah. right? And uh, and then the stock was gone. And I was like, okay, so here it is. It's like, uh, no. And then the 401k, you know, was being depleted. And I took money out of, out of my house and the equity. And um, Just to pause for a moment. Yeah. So as... As a, an overseer at our church, which you belong to, I remember a story coming through the pipeline. Um, you know, we have this this woman, Diane Cranley. She's she's like stepped out in faith, and she's just going for it. like God's called her, and she's been going down this path, and and she's she's out of. Finances. She's like, and she's been giving faithfully, and she's been, you know, she's serving, and 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 now here you are. Here I am, <laughs> and it's miraculous. I mean, it I cannot is. tell you. It, it was amazing how long the money lasted. First off, you know, it reminds me of the woman with the oil. Well, what do you have? Right? She had the oil. Get jars, and I will tell you, month after month the Lord came up with, I mean, I had money that I was using, but he, I also had influxes of money mm -hmm. that weren't income. But, um, I mean, some miraculous things. I mean, I had, um, a slab leak in my house one month. Interesting. And while I was sitting at the kitchen table with the insurance man, um, literally printing me a check right at that moment, we both looked down and there was another slab leak in oh the middle of the kitchen. And I was just, you know, and, and I've kind of had this history of leaks in my house. It's kind of a, a joke, but <laughs> I, I'm free of that now. But um, anyway, so I, I was literally, and, and I remember the next Sunday, you know, I was, you know, I was upset about it, but I was praying in the middle of service. And, and I remember the words kind of came right across my lips and I mumbled, I said, you know what, God, I just surrender this. The, the truth is it's your house, not mine anyway. And he said, yeah, it's my house and I'm redecorating. <laughs> wow. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and by the time it was over, I had all new floors, uh, in my house, um, beautifully redone. Uh, after 20 years, and I had $8,000 left over hmm. from the insurance company, you know, and another month I had had a timeshare and I, you know, timeshares are not real big on resale value, right? right. I mean, you can't give them away, let alone sell them. So I was trying to figure out how to sell it. And I called um, Hilton was who I had it with. 
and just in conversation with them about how do I get out of this thing and what legal documents do I have to just, you know, throw this thing away or get somebody to buy it or whatever. They said, oh, you know, what's your, what's your property? And, and they looked on them and said, well, oh, you know, from time to time, there are properties that we want back. Um, we will give you, um, uh, $12,000 for that property. <laughs> I said, wow. I said, you've got to be kidding. That's unheard of. It is. And within a week, I had a check for 12 oh my grand. Gosh. So there was just these influxes where the Lord just kept bringing these surprise, um, you know, um, income to me, even though it wasn't through a paycheck. The timing of things. The timing was amazing, yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, talk about timing. So I sold the last shares of my 401k on October 2nd of last year. And on October 6th, I signed a um, $100,000 contract with a significant client for my consulting services, which had developed out of my nonprofit. I actually wrote a book in 2015. What was the book? Um, the book is called Eight Ways to Create Their Fate, Protecting the Sexual Innocence of Children in Youth Serving Organizations. So it's really for schools, churches, sports leagues, and so forth to learn how to create an environment where child molesters can't get away with what they're trying to do. Uh, and therefore, they won't want to work there. And, um, and so I wrote the book, and I really haven't even sold that many copies, but it basically brought me the credibility um, that I needed. And, um, and since then, I have built a, a very um, significant and uh, lucrative consulting company. <laughs> wow. Um, and so uh, not even just here in California, I'm up and down the state in California, but I recently um, signed a contract in the state of Washington. And um, so, but again, the timing, it's not a coincidence. I mean, he, you know, he had to take me to the end of that need for money to mm. truly surrender day in and day out and learn to trust him. And he, and he just showed me that there's a difference between faith and trust. Faith is the stepping out, but you know, he said, trust is earned, right? You hear that a lot in the earthly realm, but God told me trust is earned. You have to give me the chance to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And in the end, in one of those conversations at church, I remember telling people, you know, he, he just told me people give up before I show up mm. <laughs> and they miss me. He's mm -hmm. like, if I'm calling you, you've got to wait. You've got to hold on and know that I will, I will provide what I told you I would. So, so the consulting is centered around what your nonprofit is about as well. Or? Yeah, kind of. The, right now, it's primarily focused on the book, which is youth serving organizations. So it's um, yeah, how do we prevent it? Mm. Is primarily the work that I do there. So, as a teacher, I'm in a really big school district in uh, Corona Norco Unified and in Southern California. Um, and so every year we have to take this uh, um, prevention uh, course, which I actually did yesterday on my computer. And as I was kind of going into the website, I was looking at what, you know, what is, what else is going on within this site? And, I clicked on the the kindergarten through sixth grade, I think it was, and I start listening. I'm like, my goodness, that that voice sounds so familiar. And then I go and look at who the speaker is, and I'm like, 
oh my gosh, it's Diane Cranley. <laughs> How did Diane Cranley get in my school district? But you know what? It was the first time I ever heard the idea of it wasn't it wasn't child abuse because it's always what do you do in response to child abuse after the fact yes when you see the signs in kids right and and so yours was very different it was the first time i ever heard the topic of prevention but like identifying and recognizing like people i mean you, you feel a little bit um odd in that i'm okay here's what to look for like it's a little bit of fear but then actually it's almost natural because having been in the world of chi- children's lives in in school and in uh, i coached a lot uh tennis and soccer and a lot of sports and camps and stuff um, and I came across people who, you know, I found out later on were not doing good stuff. And as I thought back of how they acted, I just, the like befriending and a little lunch. And I'm like, you're just seeing people like you're 25 and what do you like? It's not like three or four players. You got one kid in, at the hamburger shop. And, you know, I think back, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, Actually, listening to what you were speaking about on our school district's like prevention site, and it's called prevention site, like it's prevention. It's not like responding to abuse after the fact, um, which is really unheard of for me until you came on the scene. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, I really, I wish I could go back and have your voice you know, uttering the words of this is what to to look for because it was so evident and I just thought it was just people being nice and friendly. And as I listened, I'm like, I, I okay, so I'm I'm here today, but I'm equipped. Like Diane Cranley has equipped me. I can't <laughs> believe Amen. You know, Diane Cranley has equipped me as a teacher um, as a father who has bunch of, who has four kids and those kids have lots of friends and and just, and the kids in my classroom, and I, I think, I mean, God takes the the broken. Yeah, He sure does, and does great things. And you're doing amazing things. That, I mean, earlier we said, you know, millions of kids. Honestly, I mean, when you have people out there that are now being given tools to recognize. Um, the evil in the world, that's a great tool. It is. It's a good thing. We were, I was just speaking the other day at a safe schools conference, and we had um, a gentleman from the California Department of Ed um, at the at the session. And at the end, you know, we were just talking, kind of creating some dialogue among the people there. And, and he raised his hand and he said, in over 40 years in this industry, I have never heard anybody speak about child sexual abuse from the perspective of the perpetrator Mm -hmm. and how they think and how they behave and how to look for it before it happens. And that's, that's the key to prevention. You know, it's, it's not about reporting, (laughs) right? Right. It's not about what form do we fill out after it already happened. (laughs) Right. Right. The, the, the guy, well, and this happens 
probably more often than we know, but the guy, the the thief from Catch Me If You Can, um, remember that movie? Leonardo DiCaprio. With Leo, yeah. So he, you know, great forger. Um, he, after his prison sentence, he, the people hired him. And actually my bank, um, shoot, I work for a bank. I never admitted that before. <laughs> uh, but Go we, on, I think it was last year. I think last year we had, I think his name was Frank something. Um, he, 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 we hired him to speak to, um, our higher ups for security and, um, prevention of, of, uh, fraud. Right. Um, so it's, it's not unheard of to get into the mind of, of, of the criminal. And I think profilers, if the government government catches a hacker, that's really good. They'll, they might hire him. Yeah. 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 We just haven't been doing it in the criminal profilers do it. And well, because there's, it's like, well, yeah, there's probably more of a stigma like, you <laughs> sick pervert, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's... Well, and that's the thing is, uncommon. is there's lots of great research, but it's never been um, easily accessible to like principals and administrators and so forth, right? They're not going to go read a hundred research articles and try to synthesize out of that, you know, what they're supposed to do. So right. that's what my book does is it takes all the research and says, here's step by step, you know, what you need to know and what you can do. So I, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about from the perpetrator's perspective... Like, what does that look like when you're doing your consulting or your speeches? Yeah. There's nine key areas that I focus on. The first is that they need to build trust. Uh, And that's not just with the kids. They build trust with the kids' parents, with their colleagues, with their bosses, with the community. So they tend to be, you know, the teacher of the year. They tend to be the person that holds the keys to the city, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're the mayor. I mean, they spend a lifetime in image management. I mean, most perpetrators realize they're perpetrators in their teens, kind of when the hormones hit and kind of in those, you know, those next years. So if you've got, you know, a perpetrator that's that's working at a school or something that's in their forties, you know, they've been for decades figuring out how to get away with what they need to do and want to do and how to hide it. How much of that do you think is conscious and how much of that is just layer upon layer of subconscious over the years? I think there's, I I think probably a lot of it is subconscious, but I think, um, but I mean, there's a part that's conscious too. I mean, you know, I've interviewed perpetrators that will say the reason I got caught is I went too fast through these kind of steps. Damn it. Wow. (laughs) You know, so I mean, some of it, I think they they, they didn't get enough power by then or enough trust by then. Well, yeah. So let me keep going. So that trust is really key because that's what gives them access um, to kids is when people trust them. Um, it also keeps kids from telling because they're people that are held in such high esteem that the kids think nobody's ever going to believe me. I mean, look at the Penn State case, right? And Jerry Sandusky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, multiple people actually saw him sodomizing kids and walked away and didn't even get the kids' names mm. because they were so afraid of his power and his position. And so they're trying oh, to create football. that. You believe that um, they're trying to create that. Um, and, 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 you know, oftentimes when we see cases that do come to light, what do we, what do we hear? You know, we see character witnesses come flooding out. Oh, but not him. I mean, even right here in San Juan, there was a Spanish teacher who, um, who got arrested a few years ago, by the way, took my training the year before that. (laughs) So I know that when I train, I'm training perpetrators too. (laughs) 
Wow. Uh, I'm training the people around him to watch. Um, anyway, he got arrested and, um, the kids actually set up a Facebook page in his defense. They were wearing t-shirts, um, this kind of stuff. And, you know, again, we've got to realize that perpetrators rarely have one victim. I mean, even on the low end, it's usually nine or 10 serial, um, perpetrators will have three or 400 victims over the years. And so, you know, what other victim is going to come out when they're seeing everybody turning against the victim and saying, you're lying, he's a great guy. So, you know, we have to watch how we respond as a community. So, so we build trust, um, it's about gaining access to kids and that is both large groups of kids and then kind of dwindling it down. You know, that's why they want to be teachers and youth pastors and coaches, right? That's, that's what they need. Um, they need repeated access. It's, it's a crime that happens in relationship. Uh, and, and in those, in those professions, I mean, it, there's a, there's a trust. There's almost just a given trust yeah. that people have for teachers and pastors and and that's what they're doing. They're trying to take advantage of the organizational and role, right? The reputation of that role right. uh, and be able to stand behind that. You know, sometimes teachers will say to me, well, you know, you make it sound like all teachers are, are you know, child molesters. I say, no, but all child molesters want to be teachers. Yep. Right. Or, or youth pastors. Or youth pastors. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Or children's ministry. It's. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so they're going to really focus on gaining access to kids. They're going to look for the vulnerable. So they're looking for whose parents aren't paying attention, who doesn't show up to back to school night. Um, They're looking for vulnerabilities like divorce or alcohol, you know, any kind of addictions or dysfunction in the family, Mm -hmm. kids that are being bullied, that don't have friends, all that kind of stuff. Um, So they're, you know, specifically looking for those kinds of things. Um, You know, they're looking to desensitize kids to touch. Uh, to me, this is one of the most important things to realize is that, um, you know, it's the piggyback rides, the tickle games, the wrestling, so on and so forth, you know, throwing kids around in the pool and so forth. A lot of times what's happening is they're actually slipping and touching children's private parts in front of other adults because they get a kind of, um, you know, agreement from the other adults that it's okay. Cause the, the kids, kids, know the kids are like, on, right. what is going on? And why is, why anything. is somebody stopping right. this? Assuming that the parents are all seeing, but the parents can't see. And so the kids come to this conclusion. Well, they don't care. I must be crazy that I think this is wrong. Mm. Even if I told they're obviously not going to stop so on and so forth. So, you know, they're looking for that kind of passive agreement by doing it in front of adults. So I'm just telling you, if you see somebody doing that stuff, you just say, you know, my kids uh, are not allowed to participate in that kind of play. I'm never throwing your kids in the pool again. <laughs> That's, right. That's what I was thinking. I'm just thinking like, oh man. I know. Every time, I'm, now I'm it's a, like, I can't. I'm how am I in the pool. My girls want to be thrown around, and so all, Jeff's kids will yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard. Man, well, first time, never like, again. Whenever I see Caleb, I'm like, I want to throw Caleb on the. Everybody wants to drop him on his head or something. <laughs> I've done that. But and it's hard because you don't want to live in a world right. where that's not right. okay with good people. Right. What I always tell people is if you took you, a good person with good intentions, out of the scene and you put a child molester in the scene, would those children be safe? <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Driving alone in your Getting car. Sick to my stomach. You know, whatever. Yeah. So um so, yeah, I mean, it goes through a very systematic process of, um, you know, 
starting intimate discussions that are more sexual and more personal. It goes on to creating complicity, right? So they're going to get them to break laws or mm. break the rules or whatever it is. So now the kids are like, well, I wasn't supposed to stay after class in his room alone. Now that I did and this happened, what am I, you know, I'm going to get in trouble if I tell, or, you know, I looked right. at that pornography or I had a beer with him or, you know, whatever it mm -hmm. may be. Uh, and let me just say, I keep saying him about 95% of abuse happens uh, by male perpetrators, but in the case of male victims, about 42% of the time it's women. And we're seeing yeah. more and more, more teenage, stories. yeah, more yeah. and more high school teachers, female high school teachers abusing their, um, you know, 15, 16 year old um, students. So um, we have to look at the behaviors, not the person. Yeah. Yeah, that's and key. That yeah. doesn't, for better or worse, probably worse, it doesn't feel the same when it's an older woman teacher with a high school bo boy than the op opposite. Yeah. Why is that? And how do we change that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a distortion that we have in society that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he scored because <laughs> he got to or, sleep with an older yeah. woman. It's like, no, 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 no. That's illegal. It's it's abuse. Um, there was two um, teachers from Compton that were, I don't even remember this, a couple of years ago, taking um, some boys camping down at San Clemente. And in one of the teachers actually said, I don't understand why he didn't just shut up and enjoy it. it you know, so Ooh. it, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an issue, and so I'm, you know, going to encourage everybody who's listening to understand that it's illegal and it's immoral. It's not okay just because it's a male, and he's more likely to keep it a secret and carry this burden, you know, his whole life. And 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 that doesn't mean he carries it and it doesn't impact him. It means he carries it and he's got dysfunction, right? Of right. Rage and drinking, and, and it may take yeah, you know, take taking other it shapes. out, yeah, yeah, on the next generation. So you know, we and sometimes it's just health issues. Um, you know, I have a male survivor I worked with who didn't tell anybody for decades, and you know, he ended up in the hospital with his blood pressure going through the roof, and uh, it actually took him. Even then, he didn't realize. The doctor was like, why are you so stressed? <laughs> He's like, well, I don't know. Um, and it didn't. It actually didn't even hit him until he got on uh, picked as a, uh, into the jury pool for a sexual abuse case mm -hmm. that he broke down and finally realized. Mm. You know, so, so a lot of people don't even wow. make their, their own connection to what's going on, just like, just like me. I didn't really understand. So there's, so, uh, and there's, and let me just tell you, on talk.org, there's free training so everybody, please go take the free training. dot org. Yeah. You know, the one thing you were talking about earlier was just how you were going for the financial windfall and the, but, but also surviving. Um, surviving and wanting to make a million dollars. And in this word that you used, um, thriving. Like I want to thrive and I, I just being involved in with students and with my wife and with um, marriage ministry and that word thriving. It's I mean, I've brought that word up to like couples and I'm like, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm like, what if you were thriving? They're like, man, I never even thought about that. Mm -hmm. And I think about what you've gone through and it seems to me that you are now 
you've stepped, you took a jump off a cliff with God <laughs> and, but not because you wanted to, but because God said, go Diane and jump with me yeah. and I'll, I'll take, just take, give everything to me and I'll take it. And you went and here we are years later and you literally are putting tools in so many, I mean, we have 2,500 employees that will listen to this. And, um, I mean, on our, on our website for our district, but there's so many other places where you're, you're there, um, and, and putting tools in their hands, in their minds. And you're, you are literally setting a cycle to break a cycle that is going to change, I mean, people's lives. I mean, you think about the brokenness that you went through and, and the brokenness that your daughter has gone through and then just being warriors in this world yeah. representing God. I mean, you, you're like, <laughs> I can't even, the words <laughs> don't explain like the title I would give you. I mean, well, it's, it's incredible. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy you're on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you just, I love when people step out and just, Amen. Well, but God, and, and, you know, I just, I want to say too, God, and God does not call those who are prepared. He prepares those he calls. Mm. And so if God calls you to do something, trust him that he's going to prepare you because, I mean, he even gave me just the faith that mm-hmm. I needed to follow. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he, mm-hmm. he gives us everything we need, including the ability to follow. So, um, don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to step out, um, in faith. I want to say one thing though, that word thriving, it's interesting to me. So I'm going to kind of touch on the spiritual side of this for, for a moment. So thriving to me still in, at least in my background still seems like something I'm working at. <laughs> seems this very active thing. I was going to ask you after Jeff mentioned, are you actually thriving? What does that look like for you? Oh, you know, what it looks like for me is, um, I, I've started a new healing service that, um, I'm doing on the weekends. Is it called Thrive? It's called it's called Rest. Okay. And you know there there are two there are rest. two. It's relaxing environment <laughs> spiritually thriving. There you Scott. <laughs> Scott, that was so good uh, on the fly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think that's what's important when you're living in God's inheritance and in God's presence. It's not workspace as much as I work doing what he's called me to do. I have to tell you, I don't try. I don't, I just get up in the morning and I do whatever. And if something gets in the way of what I was planning, I'm doing, I go, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. You don't feel like you're doing doing it for like, you're not doing it to try to do it, to do it, to get the thing that you're trying to do. It's like, I just, it's something you're just, I just get, I just, she knows what I'm talking about. I do. I do. Well, it's not, there's no strings attached to what I do. I just do it because God puts it in front of me. Okay. She said it better than me. That's fine. Well, and let me tell you, yeah. And let me tell you specifically, like when it came to my book, um, I, I had so many projects going and I asked God one day, like, I don't even know how to even keep these straight in my head anymore, let alone what I'm supposed to work on. There's just too much. And I said, you got to give me a sign, you know, that, that helps me understand this. And I was walking at the time and he, and he pointed, he's, he was kind of like pointed out this, this 
uh, sign. It was the shadow of a street sign, you know, cross street sign. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. That does me a lot of good. Right. <laughs> and, and then I was like, what does it mean? And he showed me that the part at the bottom was what he was teaching me. And the sides were where I was practicing what he taught me. And that one of them was like practicing with individuals and the other side was practicing in, in groups. And then the top part was packaging the messages that he had taught me. And then I was like, okay, and then what? He said, the rest is up to me. So I do no marketing. I do no cold calling. I've never called a school and asked them to let me come talk. to them. <laughs> I mean, like I literally do no marketing. I just, I just respond to the emails that show up in my box. I answer the phone calls that come. I go to where he tells me to go and I meet people there that are ready to hear the message and want me. Uh, and I mean, I'm getting, you know, several new customers every month mm. and I just don't, I don't work at it. I just keep giving the message that he asked me, you know, that he created through me. Um, so it's pretty incredible, but, but that rest. So what I teach people on the spiritual side is, um, there's a couple of Hebrew words that are used for rest, um, in scripture that, um, I kind of build my whole healing uh, side of this, right? So I, I kind of do prevention in the secular realm and in the Christian realm, and then I do healing and support in the secular realm and in the Christian realm. So in the Christian realm, um, the, this service that I do is called rest based on two words. The first is nuach, which is, um, being able to rest because you've taken dominion over the enemy, right? So over mm -hmm. your enemy. And so God uses this throughout scripture whenever he delivers <laughs> um, you know, mm -hmm. land to his people or whatever. And the, and the second is menuka, which is walking in your inheritance, resting in your inheritance. So Jeff, I can, I can tell you that like my life is so full of joy mm -hmm. right now because I literally just rest in my inheritance. I know he's got me. He's got my kids. We've broken the chains. All of the curses that were on our family line are Amen. broken off. Um, you know, we live free. I see his blessings pouring out in my kids. They're getting new jobs and, you know, new careers and they're, you know, winning contests and getting new clients. I mean, there's just, it's just, he gave me the word, um, last month overflow. Mm. And that to me is what, um, walking with the Lord is really about. And, and I think most Christians settle for something way short of that. Mm you know, for going to church on Sunday and reading, you know, spending their quiet time, but they've not learned to really rest in him. And I, I just tell you, it's possible. And it is, it's brilliant to watch him, um, orchestrate. Um, like I'm just gonna, I'm going to stop and I'm going to tell you this last thing and then we'll see whether you have any more questions for me. But <laughs> so in the process of this healing part kind of coming to fruition, right? The prevention part is just on a track and it's just you know, this consulting business is just doing its thing and I just respond. And the healing side, you know, he's still calling me deeper and calling me up. And I was struggling with, um, with stepping into what he was asking me to do. And uh, that was basically taking the individual prayer ministry into a group setting. And he said to me one day, you don't view yourself as I view you. I said, well, yeah, duh. Right. So, I mean, I've been struggling with that my whole life. So I, I'm, you know, I, I still didn't understand what he was trying to tell me and how he viewed me, but I was willing to surrender. So you know, I prayed through it and just surrendered whatever my own views and obstacles were, you know, of myself, those limitations. And the next day I had a woman call me and ask me to be the keynote speaker at a women's healing conference in Maine. <laughs> and 
that conference was specifically in a region where there's um, known incest mm. and even ritual abuse. And I had gone to six days of training on ritual abuse last year. I mean, he literally prepared me. But I, I mean, if that timing wasn't incredible enough that she would call me the day after I surrendered, as I talked to her, I found out that she had been carrying a magazine, uh, Focus on the Family Citizen magazine, mm -hmm. for 18 months that has an article about me in it. And for 18 months, she's been planning to call me. Wow. And she gosh. called me the day after I surrendered. Oh my gosh. So I'm just wow. telling you, this is not just even about what he does in your life. He's orchestrating across huge geographies and, and time spans. I mean, it, this is just nothing to God to put yep. his plan into place if you're just willing to surrender and walk with them. And that's why it's so easy. I mean, I didn't have to go figure out, I was knew I would be a retreat speaker. I, I've known that for years, mm. but I didn't have to go figure out how to do that. I didn't have to go find somebody to hire me. I didn't, it, it just, I just knew and waited. And so he's a miraculous God. I mean, he loves us and there is nothing that is too big for him to overcome. So good. Nothing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Welcome to my world. I think we had I think we had a record of wows and oh my gosh. On this. <laughs> well, certainly out loud and not to mention the internal, just like, oh God, what? What? Wow. Uh you want people to have this type of life. I mean you yeah. want that's what you want for people. That's what I want. I mean, not only do I want to protect the kids, right? I want to do all that empowering so that they never, you know, stumble. But at the enemy's schemes, you know, they don't get caught in that, in that lair. But the other side is even if they have, like, there's nothing that God can't, um, can't dismantle and unwind. And I want people to know that all of their experiences in their life, like that's not who they are. They're still born in the image of God. They are still his perfect masterpiece. And that never goes away, no matter how we feel no matter what our circumstances are. And there are ways to just continue to come back into agreement with him and the truth of scripture that says that, you know, we are a pearl of great price and you can literally learn to walk with him um, just by encountering. I mean, that first encounter that I talked about, like my life is just full of encounters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the Lord wants us to walk in the garden with him, you know, naked and unashamed every day and just, Yes, we'll tend the land, right, mm -hmm. that he's right. given us, but with ease and with his presence. And it's a beautiful thing. You know? Oh, my gosh. That's so freaking good. That's so good. It's a fun place to be. It's a great place to be. <laughs> I mean, I just love my life. So, I mean, again, 10 years, like from where I came with my master being money and survival and safety for my kids, like... I, I am so, you know, God is their God and I don't worry about my kids because I know he's got them. It's just, it's just an ease that is just amazing. So I couldn't ask for more. Yeah, uh, man. I just want to make sure there's not, it seems like there's so much more we could talk about. Um, you did prevention or signs. Is there anything we missed from that, from that part of the conversation that you can think of? I mean, that stuff's all on my website if somebody wants to go and look more and take the training, but I think that that's key. I mean, let me just say signs and kids because I think that's the other side. Unfortunately, yeah. if it did happen, you know, to your child, I mean, there's um, there's 
often or not very often physical signs, but sometimes there are, and those would be, you know, um, uh, bruising or tears or bleeding in, you know, the vagina or anal area, um, on the penis, that kind of stuff. Um, if you see anything like that, you need to get the child to a hospital right away for a mm -hmm. forensic interview. Um, but urinary tract infections, um, STDs at a young age, those kinds of things are certainly physical signs. Um, there's a lot of illnesses, again, kind of stress-related, anxiety, um, depression, uh, insomnia, um, again, uh, you know, kind of uh, autoimmune kinds of things that can happen. Um, emotionally, you know, kids that are either um, very aggressive or very withdrawn. Um, you're, you know, for kids that are, have not grown up in an incest environment, you're looking for a change of behavior. I mean, as an example, my daughter was an all-star baseball player. And literally in a month, she was standing out in the field playing with the dirt. It was like, wow. where did my daughter go? I mean, literally, mm. where did she go? Wow. It was overnight. So, you know, looking for changes, um, regressive behaviors, bedwetting, um, that kind of stuff. Um, fear, anxiety, uh, you know, problems with eating certain kinds of food, trying to control their environment, um, just lashing out, being afraid to sleep in their own rooms, any kind of eating disorders, cutting, all of that um, kind of stuff, certainly. And then sexual kinds of behaviors, right? Promiscuity, teen pregnancy, um, STDs. Um, and even, you know, it can go both ways, you know, um, dressing very promiscuously or covering up. You know, the child that's at the beach with her friends with long sleeves and long pants on when it's 95 degrees out. Right? right, or won't go get, get in a bathing suit and go in the pool mm -hmm. when all of their friends are in the pool, that kind of stuff. So, those are all my website too. But you know, we need to know what it looks like after the fact as well, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, um, but again, please learn what it looks like beforehand mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. And, and my book is a great resource for parents too, because as parents, we need to know how I, I'm just telling you the book it, it's about best practices, but those are informed best practices, which basically means. There's hardly anybody doing it <laughs> because they don't know they're supposed to do it. So we're trying to get them to do it, right? We're calling them up. But, you know, every parent can be part of that solution by reading the book and then going to your coaches and your schools and your churches and saying, hey, what are you doing in these areas? Do we have boundary policies? Are we training everybody on these things? You know, how do we, you know, how are we educating the kids? What, how, you know, does the staff all know? Yeah. And how can how can they get your book? How can people get your book? They can buy it on Amazon uh, yeah. or on my website. <laughs> You're gonna uh, post a link, right, Zach? <laughs> oh, of yeah. course. Everything will be in the show notes. <laughs> mm. uh, it's always, that uh, question always cracks me up. Every podcast does that. Uh, yeah, Where can we find your I stuff? Had, yeah, I had to do it. Everybody knows how to use the computer. It's great. Yeah. Um, but I before we stop, are you okay on time for a few more minutes? I'm fine. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. Nobody ever has the time to hear my whole story because oh it's, it's long this and, is, and beautiful. This might be the most important podcast we've done so far. It's only 8.30. Um, I will say, Diane, Zach is usually like, so how do we tie a bow on this? This may be the first time he's like, okay, we've got so much more. Screw the bow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the listener sort it out. Um, okay, I remember. I don't remember the question i was just gonna ask maybe it'll come back sorry oh no i do um talking at schools like a public school you definitely have the faith angle on your website correct that's kind of the basis I'm actually not no so it depends okay. so talk.org is secular 
Okay. DianeCranley.com is secular. Okay. I have another website called talkwithgod.org. Okay. That's where you pick up the I faith would, piece. Okay, that's yeah. my so question. So they're very was, segregated. I mean, I can't go in and talk about my faith in a school. Right. But it doesn't matter. Prevention of child sexual abuse, it, you know, it's not political. It's not religious. It's right. what it's we like, got to do. Everybody's yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Where, where does the rubber yeah. meet so, the road? So school can trust me to come in without talking about God. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's just straight prevention. All right. That's good. And I got to admit, I went, I went on your website and I'm like, uh, okay, I don't see any. No God, okay. No Jesus, no crosses. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but I know her. And it uh, wasn't, and it wasn't that I was, it wasn't that I was thankful, but I was thankful because I know how much pushback in the world there in our world, the United States, in public schools, like there's this just pushing away God, intentional or unintentional, and and for and really. You almost come in like in in uh, what is it a sheep in wolf's clothing, wolf's clothing for <laughs> God for God flip that maybe wait no 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 I'm not I'm not going I'm not going to whatever but is that the first time you've been referred to as a wolf <laughs> Diane? I think so maybe but, I'm waiting to hear the rest of it <laughs> but. To, I'm stealth. But to get in the <laughs> right, door, right. but to get in the doors of public school for like the Christian wolf, for the Christian to get in the doors of the public sphere in edu- in school and education is massive. Uh, I mean, just to be there, who you are, I mean, it, ra- it radiates out. It overflows as you. As you said, it overflows and people sense the goodness in what you're doing. So, well, and I, and I think that's key too, because, um, because if you had crosses and Bibles and, and, and the, you know, a district of uh, 50,000 or a hundred thousand or 5,000 saw that they'd be like, I I used to have one thing on the talk website that used to say, how may we pray for you? And I, I literally had to take it off Mm -hmm. after I, after I launched the book and everything. Um, so I've, you know, I've got the, it, it does say, we have a sister website, mm-hmm. talkwithgod.org, so people who yeah. want to can go over there. But here's the key, and I and I think that it, it's I don't have to talk about <laughs> God or Jesus because it's just wrong. It's evil, and even if you aren't religious, everybody knows sexual abuse is evil. Right. right. <laughs> so we don't have to argue about right. that, right? Um, it just is, and people want to know how. But I but the but the emanating light is key because I will tell you there's a lot of people who do what I do. I don't say a lot. There's people that do what I do. And I don't think that they necessarily make as big an impact because this is a really tough subject to talk about. And it can overpower and burden um, an audience very easily, as you can imagine. So to be able to just come in knowing that this is God's message and that it, it carries with it a light and a hope <laughs> and, um, and life it's life giving versus focusing on the death and the sin mm-hmm. and the, you know, whatever. So I don't have to talk about any of that, but I think it comes through the message. Mm-hmm. And so people are able to receive it because it is somehow reasonably light, even though it's a very, very heavy and difficult topic. So I, you know, I'm thankful 
that it's coming from that place so that people can receive it. Cause I, I think it's part of the reason why nobody has been doing it before is because people don't want to hear about this topic really. So, right. Yeah. You are putting so many, you're, you're putting so many moments forward that are perfect closing points. <laughs> um, but I have, I just want to know if you have any thoughts on, the punishment angle or the restoration angle for the perpetrators, um, like punitive, just punishment, throw them, lock them up, separate them versus a res- restoration angle. Yeah. Yeah. I've got lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> um, got another half hour. George Carlin had a thought on that. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> Sure, it was very life-giving too. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the four corner states, and uh, you had the murderers in one state, and the sex abusers in another state, and they're like, "And for uh, about an hour, we'll just open up the doors, and then we'll close them, and problems will be solved." It was really, it was really brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's actually it's an interesting picture that you paint. So um, so there's lots of lots of angles to this. Um, most experts will tell you that, um, well, let me define something first. To me, a child molester is somebody who's crossed the line and molested a child. That's a, an action, right? I'm on one side of the line or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, a lot of people don't understand the difference between that and pedophiles. Pedophilia is actually a, a diagnostic um, tool. It's in the DSM for, um, for mental disorders. So basically you can be um, diagnosed as a pedophile and never have crossed the line and molested a child. It basically says you're sexually attracted to children. Okay. So just to kind of clarify that. That's um, important. Most um, experts will tell you that a pedophile cannot um, be fixed. Right. Um, I think in the earthly realm, I would agree with that. I think in the spiritual realm, there is nothing God can't do. And I, I do. Um, sometimes I, I have a hard time saying this. One day I, I walked out of a prayer meeting and I said, oh my God, that was the best thing I've ever done. I could just pray all day, every day. And a girl turned around and said, watch what you asked for. And then my prayer ministry opened up and I literally yeah. was praying about you know 20 <laughs> hours a week. So um, I watched this, but I do believe at some point I will be doing prayer ministry with pedophiles and wow. child molesters. I really do. I just, because I think it's the only hope they have. Um, so from, from the spiritual perspective, I don't think that the strongholds that they have on them are any stronger than any other stronghold of somebody who tells lies or is adulterous or anything else. Um, because it's just that they don't understand who they are and their identity in Christ. And Mm -hmm. as we break off curses and all of those things, um, you know, I, I think God can, can heal them. So that's, but in the earthly realm, um, I think we need to, to protect kids so I think that the sex offender registry is a good attempt. I think it. I think it's unfortunate, particularly in youth organizations. I think it creates a false sense of security because only about three percent of child molesters are detected and charged and convicted and actually make it onto the list. So the first thing you hear when an organization is accused, you know, there's a child molester accused. The first thing they says, "Well, we did a background check." It's like okay, but if that's what we're counting on to protect our kids, you know, we're in big trouble, right? So that's why we need to look at the behaviors and what are all the things that it looks like before they cross the line. So we can't count on that 3%, but we still need to do it. We need to have a way to recognize um, where people can look to see if somebody has has been detected and charged and convicted. Um, 
The unfortunate part is in most of the prison system, I do think that there is, um, they should be held accountable and there should be some level of punishment. I think, um, I think most people think they're going to get help while they're in there and change. And that is false. Mm-hmm. Um, my, um, ex was in prison for almost, um, five years and I don't think he had a single therapy session. So most prisons don't actually offer, um, therapy or help, which it would be good if you did it at the time that they were, um, caught. Uh, instead they wait till they get out and then they supposedly have to pay sometimes as part of their parole for therapy. Um, but there's some really good sex offender, um, programs, but it's really primarily focused on safety plans and, you know, understanding their own triggers and things like that so that people around them can hold them accountable Mm. to not cross the line. Mm -hmm. Um, and those that aren't really sexually attracted to kids who just, you know, were maybe abused as, as kids themselves and have bad, um, boundaries, you know, I think there's some help for those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there's kind of nurture in nature, right? Am I just wired that way or was it my circumstances right. that caused me to, you know, have bad judgments? So it's not a single answer, but I think there's a lot of false expectations in society throughout every step of that, that, yeah. you know, need to be talked. This is a complex topic as for you can sure. see, right? So yeah. these are all dialogues that, you know, we need to be having in community and organizations and stuff. Wow. The more you and the more it becomes public domain, the more fear it strikes in evil um, behaviors. Like they're like, okay, I'm getting, this is becoming like looking, they're looking for me. I don't like this feeling and the more that's talked about the uh and the the more it's squashed um in the fact that maybe just because it's being talked about a lot if it becomes prevalent in in the in the public domain that people will who maybe have tendencies or they just they're going in that direction and they're they're going to, you know, commit a uh, an an act upon uh, a child. The more they feel that pushback from society, that we're looking, we know, we recognize, we're look, we're gonna identify you. Um, that actually, I think I could see that stopping a lot. Um, of of what of the pro- of the problem that's that's out there, and that yeah. that the people it's just tough because, it, like you said, it's a really tough conversation. It's a very complex conversation. It's a very touchy subject. Yeah, and and a lot of people just don't want to deal with it, and the. The fact that I say deal with it is just those words are like they're they're just like, uh, yeah, that's just that's too tough to tackle. Yeah. Can we not? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and what I always tell people is that our silence enables child molesters. Mm-hmm. So we need to do it. And, you know, it's been around forever. I mean, you know, there's there's a child sexual abuse in in scripture, you know, Sodom mm-hmm. and Gomorrah here. Take my daughters. Mm. 
<laughs> Take my virgin daughters. You can have them. Right. Right. I mean, it's not, this is not new, but just, you know, as in then, that doesn't mean it's okay. Right. We need to, as a society, you know, be, be doing all we can to, to put an end to it. So it's, uh, yeah. Right, Zach, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> next subtopic. I, th- we'll, I think we'll put it up on it. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Whoa, we finally got there. <laughs> I mean, there's so much more, but uh, talk.org, T-A-A, two A's in talk. Talk, talk, talk. talk. The more I look at that word, it just, you know, when you Does do it that, make you, you think of talcum powder? Word, <laughs> and it just seems, not even the two A's, just talk in general. I don't actually pronounce the L when I say talk. Ta- talk? Talk. 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 With a W. Like TikTok? Yeah. And most people say T-O-K. Talk. TikTok. Yeah, dianecranley.com. Cranley's with a C. Anything else you can think uh, of? And talkwithgod.org. Talkwithgod.org. And eight ways to create your fate on Amazon. And awesome. I'm just, I'll just close by encouraging everybody to do their part, whether you're a parent whether you're, you know, a teacher or a pastor, and you need to, you all need to learn how to protect kids. Uh, and if you are a survivor, please, 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 um, start your healing journey if you haven't. Finish it if you haven't. Um, the Lord is good, and um, He will restore, and He will, um, He will redeem, and He will give you all those years back um, plus restitution. You, you uh-huh. can have a great life. Do not let. Um, what happened to you to find you. Uh, let the Lord do that. Thank you so much, Diane, for coming on mm-hmm. and for welcome. doing the work that you do. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. This was great. This podcast is over. Did you start recording yet? It is, it is recording, actually. That's why we get They'll never know you were drinking.